Whizzes, you are listening to episode 228 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. Today kicks off our 20th season. It's wild. We are entering into our fifth year of podcasting here at Food Biz Whiz. And I can't think of a better way to start this new season than with Sarah Davidson, the executive vice president of ECRM. Sarah has been in the CPG industry for over 18 years, and she naturally has learned a lot, particularly around the do's and the don'ts of pitching to wholesale buyers throughout her decades of experience here. So in today's show, we are going to dig into some of her best practices for those crucial introductory meetings with buyers based off Sarah's experiencing witness, experience witnessing good pitches bad pitches, and likely everything in between during her time at ECRM. I really love Sarah for her candidness, for her tough love, and for her ability to break it all down for us. So let's get straight into today's show. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard to access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back to the Food Biz Whiz podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, I'm so excited to be back. And, you know, you just mentioned about it being your 20th year. Congrats to you. Such a privilege to kick off with you right in the uh, midst of that. How exciting. It's wild. We, (laughs) you know, when I started the podcast, so when I started the podcast, people were like, really encouraging me to do a podcast. This was five years ago and there weren't that many podcasts for smaller brands, right? Of course there were, there was like how I built this and, you know, like the bigger inspirational podcast. And Sarah, I got to admit, I didn't, I just sat on the podcast idea for a couple of years because Mm -hmm. I knew if I was going to do it, I wanted to be consistent And it would turn into a weekly commitment for me and my team. And so I really had to like get things aligned and have the space to commit to it before, before I said yes to the podcast. And now here we are like five years later. It's wild. Love it. Congrats. That's amazing. And you've done such an amazing job. So congrats to you and excited to kick off another year here on the podcast with you. Here we go. And Sarah, thanks for coming back. So for our listeners who didn't catch you a couple months ago, we had a really great conversation over the summer, summer 2023, about six months ago, where we talked about virtual 
pitches versus in-person events starting again, how folks connect connect with those wholesale buyers. So I'll link up the past episode in our show notes for our listeners. But for today, mm-hmm. today we're going to talk about, you know, a topic that feels so appropriate for this time of year. We're going to talk about buyer pitches. But before we do, Sarah, I think let's do a reintroduction of you who you are, what the heck is ECRM? What do you do in our industry? Can you can you shed some light on your experience with emerging food, beverage, health and beauty, taxable grocery brands? Yeah, I uh, would love to. So like you for the last almost 20 years, so I've been with ECRM 19 years now, and you know we really focus on helping to bring efficiencies and connections with those buyers and sellers in this industry. So I've been here for 19 years and feel like I'm one of those lucky people that found their dream job right out of college. I uh, started as an intern, worked my way through a number of positions at the company, uh, and now have the privilege to be the EVP, kind of running our operations, our sales team, customer service groups. Uh, so touch a lot of different parts of the business. And when I'm not working here or traveling to one of our our sessions, I'm usually at home with my two little boys. Uh, So that's the coolest job in the world that I have is being a mom. And I also, you know, want to mention that I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. So if you have any uh, one listening that is a Browns fan, finally, it's our time. We're in the playoffs. So this is an exciting (laughs) time for me. I'm a big football fan. And my my team's finally in it. Uh, So like the Cleveland Browns. And uh, I think that's a good summary. I guess just a couple notes on me. It totally is. I um, I'll be rooting for you. Okay, fingers crossed for you and for any of our listeners who are also Browns fans. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Sarah, I think I just saw that it's ECRM's thirtieth anniversary. Is that correct? Yes. So we wow. started in nineteen ninety four. It's been thirty years, and it's been so fun this year. I mean, we've taken taken time to reflect on where we've come from and all the changes and evolution that's happened, not only with our company, but in the industry as a whole, you know, so much has changed uh, with how people do business and um, how our industry operates. So there's been uh, been fun to look at that and then also think about where we are today and what's coming in the future. So a lot going on right now. Yeah. And I feel like it, I feel like ECRM is one of those I don't know if I would call it a hidden gem of our industry. I'm constantly surprised at how often I talk to early stage founders who have no idea that ECRM exists. They're like, what is this magical company (laughs) that is going to help connect me directly to wholesale buyers in my category who are raising their hands and saying, yes, I I need something in this category, right? I feel like you're you're one of the industry's best kept secrets. And so again, Sarah, very happy to have you back on the podcast. And Sarah, I think folks may know, certainly folks know of Range Me, right? Mm -hmm. And was it a few years ago? I don't even know what the timeline was at this point. ECRM acquired Range Me, correct? Yes, Um, 2017. 2017. Okay, great. Oh my gosh, time is really flying by. (laughs) Okay, so pre-pandemic, ECRM acquired Range Me. And now you've got these two branches that really work in tandem to get brands in front of buyers. The the virtual platform of Range Me, 
Mm-hmm. And then ECRM, which is focused at this point more on in-person events. Am I am I articulating that correctly? Correct. Yep. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about with it being our 30th anniversary is that, you know, our mission today is the same thing that it was in our inception 30 years ago. You know, we've always been striving to build efficiencies into this buying and selling process. And so over time, we deliver that in different ways. Early on, it was by simply hosting an event and getting the right people in the room together. As we've evolved and technology changed, the industry changed, we had to do that in different ways. And there's a number of things that we've done with the sessions that I'd be happy to talk about and how we do that. But one of the big things was, you know, acquiring RangeMe in 2017 so that we could have a way for buyers and sellers to connect 365 days a year, not just what, you know, one moment in time. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we've built in, but range me was a big part of that process and delivering efficiencies into the buying and selling process. Yeah, that just makes it makes so much sense. It it's one piece of the puzzle. And actually, Sarah, as you're you're talking about this, before we really get into the the pitching and and things like that, you're reminding me that I just recently read a blog post that's connected to an interview on YouTube that Joe Tarnowski did with Sarah Delaney, the founder of Cirilla. Cirilla is a non-alcoholic beverage company who happens to be a retail ready student. And Sarah talked about how she uses Range Me for those cold leads from buyers and then the in-person ECRM events to, you know, close the deal with those category managers. So if it's all right with you, Sarah, maybe we'll link that up in the show notes as well. I think that could be a great supplement to the conversation that we're about to have. Love it. Yes, absolutely. That would be great. Great. Okay. So let's talk about these. Let's just set the stage for this 19 years of experience that you have, Sarah. Like what, what is an ECRM in-person event and like, how do they go down? What is this, what is this vast knowledge, this vast experience that you have coming into this conversation? Yeah. So I guess taking a step back just to talk a little bit about what these sessions are that we have throughout the year. We have 78 sessions on the calendar for uh, 2024. And the sessions are category specific. They're really designed to help assist buyers in their planning process, um, help them to discover new products, new brands. And of course, for suppliers, they're designed to get them access to all of these retailers across the country in the most efficient way possible. So to do that, we we have pre-scheduled meetings at each of these sessions. But I'd say it's, it's very unique in the industry in that we're not trying to get thousands of people in the room together. And maybe that's why we are a hidden gem and sometimes <laughs> a, a, a secret, although I want to shout it from the rooftops. I yes. don't want it to be a secret. Um, we'd love to engage with as many great brands and buyers as possible. Um, but we're not trying to get to the masses. We are trying to get to a specific targeted group and get the right people together and get the right people in the room where business can really take place and happen. Um, So each session, we take over a hotel, we remove the beds from some of the sleeping rooms and convert those into supplier pitch rooms or presentation rooms, uh, and then rotate the buyers around every 10 or 20 minutes to have focused one-on-one time with the supplier so that they can pitch 
Um, and of course, outside of those one-on-one meetings, we have meal functions and networking events and um, educational sessions that really breed, you know, relationship building and keeping everyone in this in this tight-knit community together to really um, open up some opportunities uh, for business to be done. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, uh, this conversation feels so timely because we know that some of the big trade shows are coming up Mm -hmm. in a few months this month. And then again in March and Sarah, all you probably won't say this, but I'll, I'll come out and say it on the podcast. I've heard some grumblings and some questions from folks from brands about whether or not it's worth it to go to some of these bigger trade shows because it's so much of a, time investment, so much of a financial investment, so much of an energy investment. And I'm hearing, especially post-pandemic, that the buyers just aren't going to the big, big, big influential, (laughs) like influencer trade shows in the same way that they were doing pre-2020. And so... I love having this conversation now and really having our listeners think about the difference between some of those big trade shows where you've got PR folks, you've got influencers, you've got, you know, the media, you've got, yes, you've got buyers. Yes, you've got people there for the education, you know, people, all different connection to our industry. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that experience versus a smaller, more... I don't know, speed dating type of... I always call it intimate, a more intimate, intimate, great, uh, you know, focused experience. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that for our listeners, you know, I want to be really clear that I love, I love the big trade shows, Mm -hmm. right? You will find me often at Fancy Mm -hmm. Food and Expo West and all of that. But Sarah, we're talking about something that's quite a different experience, than, than the big shows where, you know, you've got 80,000 people at a convention center. It's very different. How many people are, how many brands or how many buyers are at a typical event for you guys? Yeah, so every session's a little different um, mm-hmm. in the number of days uh, and the number of meetings and the number of attendees. But mm-hmm. I'd say like the average is about 50 to 60 different suppliers, brands yeah. that will be there presenting. And another... 50 to 60 buyers. That's kind of the average. We definitely, yep. our largest that we'll ever go to right now is probably just over a hundred suppliers mm-hmm. and brands and about 80 to 90 retailers. That puts you in a four day, you have in 20 meetings a day um, kind of schedule. And I think after three days, it, four, you kind of get into it and you hit your max of like how much you will, you will do. So we don't sell like booth space or floor space, like all, you know, what we're working towards is like that time, that critical, precious time that you want in front of the buyer. That's how we kind of set up a schedule and think about how many people we can actually register and have participate in a session. Yeah. And it makes sense too, because the sessions are curated by category, right? So let's say, think about Sarah with Cirilla, she is going to the beverage event or the non-alcoholic event or whatever, whatever it is, rather than just going to a industry show, hoping that a beverage buyer walks by her booth. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah and I, um, that's exactly it. Every session is like an aisle of the retail store. So one of the things we learned mm. 30 years ago in working with these retailers and they started coming to the, to the events back then was, you know, there was, um, timing and responsibilities that were already all broken down that, that really helped to set our, our schedule. So as we talked to buyers and we learned how they're purchasing, usually each aisle is owned by a different category manager, each set. Um, we started to divide our calendar into those particular sets. Then the next thing was every retailer has timing to when they make decisions. They're going to reset the store at a certain point in time. And so working backwards from that, they're going to review suppliers and be open to change at certain times of the year and others they're not. So our whole calendar is set up to when buyers actually make decisions so that you know, you can get a good, a quick response or be right in the sweet spot when they're going to make um, a change. Because the larger the retailer, a lot of times less likely they're they're going to disrupt something that wasn't planned for. Um, yeah. So it, it's really important to get in front of them when they're making decisions. Yeah. And so Sarah, how do, how do brands know when retailers are doing category reviews or resets or like, is there a hard and fast schedule for everyone? Or like, how do, how do they know? Um, well, you got to research it and find it. You got to ask your buyer. That's a great question to talk to your buyer about when you're pitching to understand when are you making decisions? Um, are you just making decisions for a reset or do you have in and outs throughout the year that could be an opportunity that I can get in on? Um, or is there promotional opportunities throughout the year? So you need to know when they're willing to make changes. Um, asking is one route. Um, there is not like an industry page you go to and it's all there. Um, we do track that internally because that's the livelihood of our business. One of the big key points of difference and I think livelihood of our business is understanding the retailer buying cycles. And so we have great relationships with many of the retailers and a lot of the larger retailers kind of drive some of that timing. And so we find out when it is and then we plan our calendar accordingly. We also have a great plot place on our RangeMe platform that you can access for some of the retailers that have put out their calendar to us. Um, we put that there so you could see for beverage, as an example, Sarah could go on and see when particular retailers are reviewing uh, and making decisions in, in that category. Yes, we had someone come into Retail Ready mm-hmm. and do an industry expert call with us mm-hmm. earlier this year. And they emphasized how important it was to be reviewing that on the RangeMe platform to literally buyers are saying, I am reviewing this category. Give me your pitches. Like I am ready for them. But you, it's so easy to miss that if you're not doing doing the research and actively doing that. Okay, so Sarah, I hear you say that there's no set calendar for every single retailer. It's not like Kroger and (laughs) Whole Foods and Sprouts and, you know, Mom's Market are all reviewing Halloween candy on July 1st. Not usually. The ones that are closest together are going to be categories that are seasonal. Um, because there's a deadline for that. Like, for example, I'm going to our cough cold session next week. Cough cold session. Okay. (laughs) So believe it or not, the buyers, um, even though we're in the throes of cough cold season right now, the buyers are making decisions for what will be on shelves at the end of this year 
in, in 2024's cough cold season. Yes. So they're right. meeting now and we'll be making decisions over the next couple of weeks around that. So seasonal helps to get more alignment in buyer timing, but some of the others are just, um, you know, within a couple months of each other and you right. really have to stay on, on tabs of that. Yeah. So I hear you say, just ask them, right? Mm-hmm. Literally, you can ask them if you're using a broker or distributor, right? You can ask your broker or distributor. Typically, they have those those schedules as well. And then Sarah, I hear you, I really hear you say that there's no shortcut to it. It's just research. Yep. And it's not the same every year. You yeah. know, oh. retailers change constantly. <laughs> so my calendar is so when I first started with the company 20 years ago, um, the cough cold session was in March. Interesting. Now it's in January because the window has moved up. There's been some timing shifts and that's not a huge change, but we have, we've had other categories that go from the fall to the spring. And, you know, there's movement at these retailers as they have internal changes as well. So you got to check it every year. And then some retailers, just for our listeners to know, some retailers don't adhere to a strict schedule. Mm-hmm. or don't map out the schedule for the entire year ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so I really want our listeners to to recognize that it isn't always so strict. Just because you, I don't know, what would be another good example? Just because you are a honey producer doesn't, and you know that they reviewed honey in February, it doesn't mean that you can't pitch in June. Correct. And and if it is your first time meeting with that buyer, you might want to be a year in advance or six months in advance. Um, So we find that buyers will come and preview, especially emerging brands, private labels big. They want to be super early on that. Um, They're still open to meeting it because it's going to take some time. The larger the retailer, the longer the time that it typically takes, the more rigid their deadlines are. So you still want to get in there and pitch and start that moving on that process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people, sometimes people fail to realize just how long that timeline can be, right? So Sarah, you said you're, you're doing cough and cold now at that session later this month, are buyers going to be placing orders directly like tabletop deals at the session for Q4 2024? Or is it just like um, starting the conversation, seeing who's who's around? Yeah, I think it's between starting and midway through. So Mm -hmm. the size of retailers that we recruit into these sessions are typically your large, very large regional players to your national retailers. That's our sweet spot on the ECRM side. On the range we side, we have retailers across the scope of, you know, across the scale from one store up to thousands of stores. Uh, But in our session specifically, we're more serving those really large regional and national retailers. Because of that, there are not typically POs happening at the session. Has it happened? Sure. But it's not something I ever set the expectation that it will Mm because it's rare for a buyer that size to meet someone and make a commitment there for that. Um, But what typically right now, they're either finding, you know, they're doing their discovery. They're making sure they've met with all of the brands that could be a potential they're also uh, meeting with current vendors to see what's new, mm-hmm. um, see if they need to make any changes with current items in place. And then I'd say most of the decisions are then made by end of February, sometime in March. And that's the decisions that the buyer wants to make. 
Then yes. once that buyer makes the decision, they have to also serve that up to management, make sure everything's approved. Then it goes into, you know, how, how it's going to be laid out with the show, you know, so that it actually probably won't be reset in the store till probably September. Um, but, you know, we they're trying to make those decisions as early as now to get that moving. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're starting to hint on on all of the steps involved that it takes to bring a product to the shelf. It's not just that buyer saying, yep, like, sounds good. Send me four cases next week, right? There's so many other decision makers and so many other steps involved before your product ever gets to the shelf. And Sarah, we see this even with smaller retailers. You know, I, I know you were just saying with, with ECRM sessions, they tend to be these bigger regional chains or national chains. But I'll just I'll just speak to our listeners who are thinking, you know, about pursuing specialty stores and the, you know, stores that are one, two, you know, five locations. Even in that, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Sarah, there's so many steps involved yeah. in bringing a product to the shelves that it can take weeks or months, even in those smaller independent retailers. Yeah, I think over time I've gained more of appreciation for that as I've learned more about the process mm-hmm. because you you really want the process to work, right? You really want your product to not be sitting in a distribution center somewhere or on a on a truck somewhere or even in the store in boxes Back that never got put to yeah. the put to the shelf and it's not getting displayed in the perfect lighting that you envisioned it being when you initially talked to that buyer months ago. And so these buyers all have these processes so that the execution happens right on site, especially when there are thousands of stores to roll it out to and they're yeah. re, you know changing a whole set. So there's definitely some appreciation there for why it takes so long because then the execution happens correctly. Yeah. And it can be really painful on the brand side yeah. because you know you've you've done this production run, your shelf life is ticking down on your product line. Yeah. And frankly, you want the cash coming in. It's of it course. can be really, really painful. So for our listeners, we'll say, we hear you. Yes. We hear you that it's a painful process. And it's why it's it's one that um if you can see me, I wish I wish our listeners could see me. I'm making this hand gesture of like perpetual forward movement, right? Always having something in the wings, always like moving the needle forward in your business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, let's, can we talk about pitching and some yes. of the the do's and the don'ts and the things that it takes to be successful in these buyer meetings? I imagine that you have seen, you've seen it all in these meetings over the past, you know, almost 20 years here. What? What are the, should we start with the things that work or the things that don't work? Where do you want to start? You know, let's rip off the things that don't. I feel like it's, okay. you don't want to focus on the negatives. So let's just rip them off. All right. Talk about a couple, a couple things and then really get into what I think can be productive and positive, which is all around the do's um, yes. and, and go through those. Great. And, you know, as we're, as we're talking this through, if our listeners have made some of these mistakes, that's okay. We see these mistakes all the time. And and I think Sarah one of the the one of the challenges in our industry is so many folks come from other industries. They come from outside food and beverage or outside of CPG and they're just learning as they go. So, if any of our listeners are making these mistakes, don't worry. We're going to help you fix them right now. So Sarah, what are what are the <laughs> what are some of the things that make you cringe? 
Yeah, I, you know, I just have to echo everything that you just said because, you know, when I first saw some of these things, I didn't even know they were don'ts until I started to see more and more of it and see the reaction, you know, because one thing, you know, about this industry and about pitching to buyers is all the buyers are different. They all have different preferences. They all have uh, different ways they like to structure how how they do business. So um, this isn't a one size fit all uh, kind of kind of thing, but there's definitely some things that I think I've seen over the years at these sessions that could help you avoid doing or think about from a different perspective in the maybe in the buyer's shoes a little bit um, for how they're going to react to to some of these things. So great. Um, so the first thing I, I would just mention is, you know, be sure to be cognizant of how you use your time with the buyer. Don't waste the buyer's time. That's something I feel like they are starved for. Um, they wear a lot of different hats. Um, and it's easy to kind of um, get in a bad path and maybe even lose some credibility by kicking off a meeting the wrong way. So I want to give the example of one that I resonates with me always. And I can picture this meeting. Um, it happened years ago, but I've seen it a, a number of times. Um, we all sit down for the meeting and the uh, very large buyer, uh, very a very large retailer from CVS sits down. And the first question the supplier said was, could you tell me a little bit more about CVS and how many stores you have? Mm-hmm. So the buyer was very gracious and just responded and said, Sure, I can talk to you about CVS. We are one of the largest drugstores in the country. Have you not seen one of our stores? Um, where do you live? And and then it kind of got into her explaining more about CVS. But she of a 10-minute meeting, she used six minutes to explain CVS to the supplier. And so this 10-minute meeting where we plan to have the supplier pitch about their products and talk about the great things that they have and how it could benefit CVS. Instead, the time was really used with the buyer telling them about CVS that they could have found online how many stores they had. They could have walked into a CVS store. Um, just really figuring out the right way to kick off your meeting and not, you know, um, you know, not not asking a question that might be a little bit silly at the beginning that wastes a lot of your time. And the buyer might take it that way too. Cause I have seen it the other way where a buyer, if you didn't research me, then why should I spend my time? Every buyer is a little different to how they react to that. And luckily this one was, like I said, pretty gracious, but you might get something back that you didn't expect um, from others. Totally. And you know, this, this supplier too, this, this founder, I can imagine who knows how much they knew about CVS or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine Sarah, them just getting a little nervous at the beginning of the presentation and saying, okay, I'm just going to like, ask a question to like get the ball rolling here. Yeah. Like, let me, let me be friendly and say like, you know, tell me about, tell me about your company, CVS. (laughs) And yeah, sure enough, that, that leaves a really sour impression on the buyer who then assumes that that vendor didn't take the time to research their, their company. Okay. If it's a small dot com or someone new emerging, new stores, absolutely very relevant yes. question. But I think because of the size of that account, they expect yes. more and they expect you to know. So absolutely. you just have to think about that with who with who you're meeting with. Especially if it's, you know, even more so it being a 10-minute meeting, they've used up 60% of their time with having the buyer do the talking. And I imagine, Sarah, in these meetings, we really want the 
brands to go in and do the sales pitch. We want that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the best meetings are always the ones where there's a, a dialogue and engagement mm-hmm. happening, um, where there's a little bit on both sides. But the buyer's walking in there expecting you to pitch them, you that's yes. you to earn their attention and you know, wow them um and not kind of kick off immediately with something that they would have assumed you already know. So I yeah. think you know, wow them from this the the get-go and just um be conscious of what you're asking, how it might be received. Do some yeah, do your homework. Do your homework. Okay. Yeah. Anything else that we um, need our listeners to know? There's two other quick things I mentioned. Um, the second thing is, is is be very tactful for how you talk about the competition. So don't bash your competition. Yeah. Um, that's something else that's you know, definitely a fine line to walk. You have to talk about your point of difference to your competition. A buyer needs to understand that. But I've been in meetings where the buyer actually has the competition sitting on their shelves. Yeah. So at one point they thought that competitor was somewhat, you know, someone good to have, and they they might really like them. So by you bashing the competition and saying something like, "Who would ever in their right mind ever take that product in?" or "Who no one should ever use that product," they'd be an idiot. Like something very yeah. going too strong might insult the buyer because they obviously thought something of that product at the time. Now you can educate them to know why your product is superior, but I would careful of the bashing. Um, I think that that's sometimes not received very well from the buyers and turns them off because they take it personally. Absolutely. I could, I can, I can totally see how that would be. That could feel like a personal attack or a personal critique because you're right, Sarah, at some point they... We're excited about that other product line. They said yes to that other product line. So, okay, so some sensitivity around talking about the competition. And I heard you say, yes, of course, like we want to highlight our difference. We want to talk about why we're better or why we're a better fit for those shelves. But we have to be careful about the way that we do it. And it sounds like we got to do some homework to see what else is on the shelf in that retailer as well. Yeah. And those are the meetings that I've said, and they talk about it. And it's, well, you know, we carry that item or, and it's doing it. And then they come with the stats and it's doing this and it's doing this. And, and so it just totally takes the meeting in the wrong direction. So I think doing your homework and just, you know, being, um, being tactful for how you, how you come across about the competition is important. Yeah. And all brands think they're the best, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, or think as they're, you, should, you know, as think, you should, as you should right? Yeah. That is your company. You <laughs> yeah. should think that you are the best in your category. Yeah. But there's a right way and a wrong way to articulate how great you are compared to yeah. the competition. Great. All right. What was the third thing that you wanted to share, Sarah? Um, a third thing was a little bit of what we just touched on about um, pitching um, and having a dialogue and, and engaging. So I'd say don't use your entire time with a buyer to talk yourself. So we see this again a lot because, you know, 10, 20 minutes goes fast, um, but it can be super powerful and engaging with the right questions and the right pauses to acknowledge that there's some engagement in there. Um, so I've seen meetings where they have 20 minutes, they pitch the entire time, and then the buyer gets up and has to leave. And I think the same thing happens if you're at a trade show and bump into somebody, they always have somewhere to go. Or if um, you're you get that 
FaceTime with them in the office or through a Zoom call. Be very cognizant of the time and be ready to ask the questions to know where you stand. And of course, what the follow-up, what next steps are. Um, I think if you don't save a minute or two to do those things or do a check to see if they're following and engaging, you're going to have to get another meeting with them to figure it out. And getting that time is so difficult. Uh, getting that access is very challenging. Yeah. I I love that you're highlighting this, Sarah. One of the one of the things we teach in Retail Ready is that each interaction with the buyer needs to move the relationship forward and that it is up to the brand to drive that forward action. So asking for the next step, right? But, you know, asking like what happens from here, you know, like how can we move this relationship forward? And I hear, I hear the, the no here the faux pas here is just using all your time to talk at the buyer. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. They're real people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When's They're the last time people. that you were sold something that you never got a word in? <laughs> I mean, it's just not, a, it doesn't feel good. It's not a positive experience. You want that buyer feeling good. Um, and feeling knowledgeable about what you were you know, the points you were trying to get across. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay, so those are cringe-worthy yeah, let's, let's moments. Let's pass the don'ts. That you know. I All right, we got the don'ts. Moments, yeah. Can we <laughs> highlight a few do's? Like, what is really working well in the meetings that you see, Sarah? Yeah. So, uh, funny enough, you know, as I thought about this, I really think there's like one big do, and okay. it's broken down into three parts. Great. And the biggest do, if if you can only do one thing, <laughs> prepare. You prepare. have to prepare. And I think there's three parts of preparing that set you up for success. Um, and, and I say prepare because, you know, buyers today, they come into that meeting prepared. Like they are getting data and insights and every person they talk to is telling them about their category. They're prepared. They're ready to meet with you. They know their deadlines. They know they know their objectives. They know their needs. They are prepared to meet with you. So you have to do your homework going into that meeting um, and, and really research. I think that's like the first big bullet that like I could talk about mm. is in preparing is like how you research for that meeting. Yep. Then how you kind of set up the pitch, how you prepare the pitch and organize your thoughts to get things across. And of course, practice, you know, Especially, I mean, we talk about this a lot with the structure of our sessions because you have 10, 20 minute meetings. Um, the beauty of going to one of our sessions is that we actually tee it up for you and tell you what that buyer is looking for mm-hmm. and what what their objectives are in attending, what they're responsible for, what they're not responsible for. So you can kind of shortcut a lot of those questions that you might have up front with a buyer. But you know, just knowing those key things and walking in, you want to be able to then cater your pitch to what your research has told you. Uh, so you yes. have to a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So the research ahead of time, if it's in one of these ECRM sessions, it sounds like you guys do a lot of the research for the suppliers. So using that research <laughs> would be the you know, the key step there in the preparation. And if you're not in, if you're not doing an ECRM session, Sarah, I hear you say that there's still lots of other ways that there's so many ways to correct. 
the, the most basic thing you can do is start to, you know, go to their website, go to a store right there. You're going to find out about, you know, what competitors they're carrying, pricing strategy, promotional strategy. You're going to be able to take some things from that. So I think whether you're going to one of our sessions or you're meeting with them outside of that, um, those are easy resources um, to go to. Um, within our sessions, we also provide Nielsen data, which is really helpful for kind of some of those emerging brands that don't have access or, you know, this be able to spend money on some of those types of reports. So utilizing data you can get your hands on through our sessions, they can get it. But I think there are ways to get it outside of our sessions, um, maybe at those level of reports. But I mean, you could go to Nielsen's website today. And there's general reports on categories, on different buying audiences. Find something that supports your pitch um, that you can give to the buyer because the buyers today need some facts and figures to support your brand. It's not just them you have to sell. Once they say yes, they have to sell their management and they're going to be looking for some data to back up the reasoning. They got to have it there. So Make it easy for them. Make it part of your pitch. Do some research. You can find it through the websites. You can find it. Through, um, you know, Google. Just, just start googling. Uh, yeah, yeah. Reports, and you'll be surprised what you can find that might support, you know, your pitch. Totally, Sarah. I always have people reach out to me, and brands brands reach out, and they're like, "Allie, like, where do I find data on, you know, the mushroom category?" And I'm like, "Go to Google. Like, do you want me to just Google it for you? Like, we, you know." <laughs> We can get the numbers. Like, here we go. Um, Sarah, I'm so glad you highlighted that buyers are such numbers people, right? Yeah. We can't just love a product, think it's got cute packaging and like tastes really great, has, you know, delicious scents, you know, um, and put on our shelves. We need some sort of data that supports our thesis that it's going to sell off the shelf. Yep. Great. Okay. So we're preparing. Yep, we're so doing our research. research. You got you to gotta prepare. And I think yep. you got you to gotta think about how you can articulate, how, how you can get to your point quickest. You want to keep that buyer's attention. Um, they'll really appreciate that. Just think about how many people are coming to them to pitch their product. Everyone has the next best hot sauce. Yes. But the, they're trying to figure out like, why are you different? And what are you going to do for me? Like, how are you going to help me achieve my objectives? So I think you got to figure out how to organize that you can get to the punchline as quick as you can without skipping the important details. So that's why we're preparing and we're going to lay out our pitch. Um, so I think first and foremost, you want to highlight the benefits of your product and then point out how it's different. You know, yeah. what is different? How is it set apart from the competition? This buyer manages a whole set in this category. So there's bound to be some things that they're carrying that that you have some differences that you can really highlight. Um, so this is what makes us different. This is what sets us apart. This is why people love us. This is a great part to put in some stats. Um, yeah. And so I think that's part one. But the way to hit a home run with the buyer and, and setting up and, and really preparing your pitch is highlight what makes this good for them. Yeah, you know, that sauce is great and it's much better than the competition. You have to relate it to what makes sense for that buyer. Um, so go all that research that you did hopefully told you some things of major initiative. Like if I just Googled Kroger today, I'm gonna get all the press releases that they came up with in the last 30 days or so. I can start to see things that are important to this chain. They might have some overarching initiative. I mean, we can assume 
every buyer, they own the PL. They need to grow sales. So, okay, you taking on my product and putting it on your shelves should do this for you. Or it's going to drive traffic. We have a huge social media following, and this is where they're, you know, most of our, our followers are. Maybe that's an area that could drive some traffic to your store. Um, this is, you know, a product that's going to drive your profits because here's our margins. It's different. You, you have to come up with what makes it right for them. Um, otherwise, they're going to say, you have a product that's great. I'd love to feed it to my kids at home. But <laughs> making a commitment to put it on my shelves will be different if you're not aligned to what their goals and objectives are. So that has to be part of your pitch. Yes. Oh my gosh, Sarah. Say, thank you for saying that so clearly. And my takeaway here is that your sales pitch might convert the buyer to into a consumer, right? Then they want it in their pantry or in their fridge. But the goal here is to convert that buyer into obviously a purchaser at the store level, at the region level, at the national level here. We've got to talk about what it does. How do you support their category goals? Awesome. Great. The last thing I'd also put as you're preparing is just noting any questions that you want to make sure are answered in Mm -hmm. your meeting. Um, Because the meeting is going to go by fast and you're going to get passionate and excited about your product. And, you know, if it's going well, it's going to be exciting. And then all of a sudden the buyer walks out of the room and wait, I needed to ask this, or I wish I knew this. Um, And so, you know, a couple quick things are always, you know, around timelines you know, yep. or when are you making decisions around this? What, you know, um, what follow-up always asking about the follow-up because I think you said it just a, a little bit ago is that it's on the supplier to follow up. And, yeah. and so we need to know how they want to follow up. And this is a thing that I also see is vastly different depending on the buyer mm-hmm. you talk to. Some buyers email me and I will get to it. You can email me a thousand times. And when I'm ready, I get to it and I get back to you and that's great other buyers, I'd like you to send me a sample on the first week of February. And that's when you need to do it. Um, yeah. Or I prefer you to set, you know, call me on this day or send me a note and we're going to schedule a call. Everyone's a little different in how they operate. But if they're telling you something, I think that they have good reason for it. Like the sample yeah. example, the, the sample um, example that I just mm-hmm. mentioned could be because that's when they have access to a mock store that they're going to plug and play and do something. So if you miss that window or you send it three weeks too early, it could get lost in some other part of the of their office. And it's just so important to ask about that at the end and just know the questions that you want answers to and have those in front of you so you don't yeah. lose track of those. And I hear you say, Sarah, that asking questions doesn't make the founder seem unprepared. Mm-mm. It makes them seem engaged in the pitch. Is that Absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I hope I didn't throw anything off with doing that example at the beginning about asking who CVS was. Mm, because, right. Very you know, different question, question. Totally different. Um, I think that most questions, I mean, who doesn't like hearing themselves talk a little bit? Like buyers want to, you know, talk and like answer some questions, but it's going to be, it's going to fuel your pitch. It's going to help your pitch. It's going to help you to serve that buyer's need better. If you fully understand what their, you know, what their process is or what they're looking for. So asking questions and having engagement and true dialogue is always the best way a meeting, a meeting can go. 
Yeah. And I hear the questions are really centered around the relationship and moving that process forward. And, you know, what's your timeline? What's, you know, how should I follow up? What's the best way to keep in touch? All of those things rather than tell me more about CBS. How many stores do you have? Yes. Yes. Great. Great example here. Okay. So we've researched, we've pitched, we're practicing here, all of that. Yep. Yeah, and that's we, the fun thing, really practicing. Just just say it out loud a couple of times, try it a couple of times. At our sessions, you're you'd have 20 to 30 meetings. So you'd have plenty of practice practice, yeah. but you don't want to be practicing with your first 10 meetings. You want to be ready by the first one. So practice absolutely. Say it out loud a couple of times. Get the flow, make sure your timing's right. I mean, just you and I, we, we talked before this call, we're like, well, get to us in 20 minutes. I think we've been talking almost an hour. So, you know, it's easy to get, get excited about things you're passionate about. So, you know, practice so you can stay on point. Yeah, absolutely. Inside of Retail Ready, we have um, these sessions where I play my role as a former buyer and folks come and practice their pitch with me and I give them every no in the book and, you know, really um, push back on their product lines and stuff. And Sarah, I'll tell you, it's like some of my favorite sessions that we do inside of Retail Ready, but even the most veteran brands, brands who have been in this industry for decades in Retail Ready, think they know how to pitch and then they get into the live situation and something throws them off, right? Something happens. So I so appreciate this reminder that the practice, practice, practice is makes or breaks that, um, like how natural it feels in the pitch process. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's usually easy for us to pitch about ourselves, like pitch about the product that's near and dear to our heart that we're passionate about. But it's once you, you know, your research has to kick in with all that stuff that you're doing to cater your pitch towards that account that takes the practice and just kind of the flow of it all. So definitely. Yeah. I think there's one of the things we talk about in retail ready is that there's such a difference between pitching direct to consumer and pitching to that wholesale buyer. And that we have so much practice speaking direct to consumer, you know, it's delicious. It's functional. You know, it's this convenient packaging. It's, you know, perfect for kids or after school or blow, you know, all that stuff. And that's not, that's the type of pitch that makes that wholesale buyer into a consumer rather than into an advocate of your brand for their shelves, right? Great. So then Sarah, what happens? As we start to wrap up here, tell me like what happens after the the buyer meeting, whether you're like in that ECRM session, maybe you're just pitching outside the session, like what happens next? Yeah, so follow-up has to happen. So I think that the, the biggest thing is you have to listen up front about what the instructions were with, with follow-up. You have to ask first. So that's definitely why it's a do. Listen to what they say and execute on that. And you have to be persistent persistent and patient. Um, depending on the account, they move at different speeds. The decision-making process could be, you have different timelines. So you have to follow up as they directed and, and stay on it. And you will earn their business if you can truly prove to them why you're going to help them and, you know, you stay on it. Um, I, I think that's, the, that's the, it's, it's really where the hard work kicks in. Maybe like you do all this stuff in advance um, and it's fun to have the actual meeting, but that's when, you know, the hard work kicks in because you have to be persistent and, and follow up because it, truly it's, you know, the supplier takes that, that ownership of the follow-up. 
Yeah. And I really heard you say like follow up and follow up and follow up. You could follow up a thousand times and that's okay with many buyers. Yeah. Yeah. Until you get that hard no, keep up with a follow up. I hear from the, like the, again, the very large accounts that attend our sessions, they love meeting with the emerging brands. It's, you know, they love the treasure hunt. They love finding these, these brands and these brands that come to sessions are well-prepared. They, they, they have access to all this great information beforehand and they're usually great brands, but the buyer will give them. And so the feedback I usually hear from some of the large retailers is, you know, I really like this brand, but they have to do X, Y, and Z before they're ready for me. Um, and then they'll come back like the next year or at another session throughout the year. And that buyer will say, they really listened and they did it. Now we're going to pilot in a hundred stores. And the supplier will be saying, I only got a hundred stores of the 10,000 you have. It's like, just, just to show them what you can do in that hundred. And then it booms yes. and it can go so much bigger. And so I think buyers love that. They love getting like that. They're that exclusive look that that they're in the know before most people know about your brand. And um, they want to, I think they want to champion you and they want to support you, but you know, it just takes some time and maybe some coaching. You listen to what they say, makes a couple of changes and it could be a great partnership for years to come. Uh, And we hear that a lot from the, from the buyers that come to the sessions. It just takes a couple of meetings. It takes a couple times for you to prove yourself. Yeah. Thank you for giving folks permission to be persistent and the reassurance that it does. It just takes time. It just takes time. Sarah, thank you so much for all of your expertise on today's episode. I mean, like we said at the beginning, you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours on this topic, Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to let you go knowing that you certainly probably have a, a busy day as well. So Sarah, before I let you go, where can people keep in touch with ECRM and find out more about these sessions? Yes. Uh, so thank you so much. This was so much fun, by the way. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate your time and questions and I hope that it helps somebody out there. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's really the my favorite part of the job is to be at the sessions and see all the magic happening and mm-hmm. see the interactions. It's just, it's so fulfilling and rewarding to, to see all that take place. So I love to be able to share what I've learned over the years. So thank you for that. Uh, and we'd love to meet more of your suppliers and your listeners. So the best way to find us is one through our website, www.ecrm.marketgate.com. Uh, and then you can also find us on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then, yeah, you want to post my information in the, in the comments as well, davidson at ecrm.marketgate.com. I'd love to hear from anybody uh, and uh, see you at a future session. Great. Thank you, Sarah. We'll put all of that info in the show notes. All right, my whizzes. I am so grateful for Sarah and for her time with us today as we kick off this new season of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. It it is so hard to get buyers to give you firsthand feedback. And Sarah's knowledge really feels like we just got a sneak peek into the mindset of those wholesale buyers as they make decisions on product lines. So I hope this episode sets you up for your pitches in 2024. So one last thing, you may have heard me mention this in a recent episode, but one of my goals this year is to feel more connected to you, our listeners. I would love to hear from you in our DMs on Instagram or over on LinkedIn, both linked in our full show notes. 
So thank you as always for joining on this 228th episode of the podcast and we'll see you right here next week. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.